Hey, Osha here. If you picked out clothes to wear today, chose to have a particular thing for lunch, decided how you'd interact with another person today, texting them, calling them, speaking to them, then you have way more in common with the drag community than you might realise. We're about to have a wonderful conversation with Courtney Act. But very, very quickly, I wanted to let you know that... um, podcasts, they're free to listen to, but they're not free to make. So uh, we might happen to have an ad here. If we play an ad, you're helping us keep the lights on, helping me pay the team that makes the show with me. If not, you'll hear Courtney say something awesome. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The only thing that I knew that gay was was poofter and faggot in the schoolyard and it wasn't a good thing and he didn't want to be it. So arriving at Stonewall was like, oh, this is what gay is. Oh, yes, yes, I want this. And then um, I kissed my first boy on the second level of Stonewall and then later that night lost my boy virginity, took someone else's boy virginity, a totally different boy altogether, so I did not mess around. I was just <laughs> making up for lost time. Kid in a candy store. That sounds like a top night. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a top night for me. It was a bottom night for him. That was drag performer, TV host, podcaster and author Courtney Act, also known as Shane Jenick. And this is Better Than Yesterday. G'day. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. This is a podcast that hopes to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something you hear on this episode, in fact, every episode going all the way back to 2013, will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, I'm Osher. I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a cold haver right now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been here since 2013, and I'd love to hear what you think about whatever's going on. Send us your email at gmail.com. Always love to get your questions. Great to answer some questions on Friday too, so thanks heaps for sending those through. Yeah, send us your email at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram anytime you like. That's where I am. Super special show today. So stoked about it. It's a live one. I'd love to do more live shows going forward. This episode really gives me a lot of hope that it, it could be something which could happen and, and still give you the kind of podcast I want to give you because the vibe and the intimacy of the conversation was something that I was still able to make happen. Even though we were in the second floor room of a pub at the bottom end of Oxford Street on a rainy Sunday night. So uh, I really wanted to do some live shows, um, but then COVID. And so hopefully, hopefully we can all get back in a room and, and do some live pods pretty soon. Today, we're speaking with Courtney Act. She's fantastic. Her book is called Caught in the Act. She's been on the show before, which I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you go and check out. 
It's a brilliant episode and we talk a lot about sexual fluidity and gender identity and it's a very, very clever, clever conversation. Uh, She's very clever. I'm just the one asking the questions. She was Shane when she showed up in my house. So I've interviewed both Shane and Courtney on this show. So that's pretty cool. I've had both of them on the podcast. I couldn't have been more thrilled when Shane asked me to do this. Um, He said, look, I'm launching Courtney's book on on Sunday night and... um, can you come and do it in a conversation? I said, absolutely. Can I record it and make it a podcast? Absolutely. So it was a very, we were supposed to do it on the rooftop at the Burdekin Hotel, uh, the bottom end of Oxford Street in Sydney. The, absolutely. The, the rain pelted down on top of everybody doing the live stream. There's a big Facebook live stream as well, which you can go and watch if you like. The crew pulled it apart and put it back together in about 47 minutes flat. And um, it was a brilliant night. And a massive thanks to uh, Courtney and her management team for asking me to do it. I was so grateful and I can't wait to do more live shows just like this one. Courtney's a very, very clever person from her early work on television that I was a part of um, on Australian Idol and then to RuPaul's Drag Race, Celebrity Big Brother, Dancing with the Stars. You might have seen her in performance mode, but she's also a very, very deep thinker who considers the world through a very special lens, which you can see if you watch her show Courtney Acts 1 Plus 1, which is on iView on the ABC in Australia. I'm so grateful we could do this. There's a video, as I said, of this night on Courtney's Facebook page. If you want to go check it out, it was a heaps of fun. A quick note, we do discuss uh, the topic of suicide in this chat. So if there's anything that does come up for you or anybody that you're listening with, please reach out in Australia to 13 11 14. That's um, Lifeline's number or wherever you are in the world. Please get support if it does bring something up for you. So come with me now to the Burdekin Hotel on a very, very rainy night, two Sundays ago, where Courtney Act, myself, and about 60 other wonderful people who I think it was all our first night out after lockdown and vaccines, and it was fucking amazing to be in a room full of people again. We had a wonderful evening with the delightful, the stellar, the superstar that is Courtney Act. Good evening, ladies. <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. I got such a kick saying that, both ladies and gentlemen on this show. How are you, Courtney? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. We're, we're here in a, in, a, in, a, in a really moist room in um, <laughs> the nether regions of Oxford Street in Sydney, but we are joined by, uh, I believe, uh, at this point, uh, 17, 12 squillion people on the live stream. <laughs> so there's a lot of people actually watching us here tonight, but it's an absolute thrill and an honour to be here in the Burdekin with you. Courtney. Congratulations on Court in the Act. Thank I, re- you. I read this book, what, six, nine months ago I read this book, I think? Yeah, yeah it was some time ago. Amazing. I got the PDF copy. I did. Yeah. I did. I had to draw my own pictures. <laughs> tricky. It was tricky. How are you going? I'm going good. I'm, I'm drier than I was earlier, which is nice because we did start tonight out on the roof. Yeah. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. It's the launch of my book. It's lovely. I'm so happy for you and I'm so happy that you put this stuff down because in many ways when I read it, um, I'm like, this is not only your story, but this is also a letter to, to be honest, a letter to the kid that I first met. Yeah. Did you say that's right? Yeah, for sure. Back in Brizzy. Yeah. Some, uh, your manager was trying to, you know, put a point on when you and I first met and yeah. I think we might blow a few people's minds when they actually figure out how long we've known each other. Yeah, it was, it was the 90s. It could have even... Uh, yeah, it was 90s. It was the 90s. Yeah. Osha was working at B105 in Brisbane. That's right. The Today FM radio station. Yeah. And I was going to the famed talent agency and theatre company, which was right across the road. And That's we right. would always rehearse on the footpath and in the street. And uh, You came in not- to be a guest DJ. Yeah, I, I was a voiceover artist. I, I, hang on, I remember the line. Thanks, Mum. That was delicious. <laughs> it was for hand small goods. There's a line about... Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. But you came out, I think you were like 14 or 15? Yeah. 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 So we've known, we've known each other with, since then. Since then. And then you arrived at Channel V about four or five years later. Yeah, it was the year 2000. It was when they were doing the, uh, the Channel V reporter search. That's right. And I had fire in my eyes, hunger in my belly, and I didn't have great big shoes on my feet back then yet. Actually, I did have buffalo boots, which were inspired by the Spice Girls. Mate, if you weren't wearing buffalo boots in the late 90s, then you... <laughs> and um, I remember going to the audition. I was determined that I was going to be the next Channel V reporter. Yeah. Which, as we know, didn't happen. That went to James Matheson and Yumi. And um, I was so hungry that I asked the producer, Peter Clay... 
is there anything I can do? And he said, well, actually, someone's on holidays for three weeks. You can fill in as the production assistant. And I said, that's all I need. Mum, Dad, I'm moving to Sydney. And that's how it's done. That's how it's we done. We were talking downstairs. You know, that's how you just got to go. You've got to hustle. You've got to push. You've got to lie. Uh, no, not lie. You've got to uh, <laughs> convince people in positions of authority that your skill set may be slightly more useful than it actually is and figure it the fuck out yeah. as, as you go. I remember being here on Oxford Street in the late 90s and the early 2000s. In fact, Andrew McCarter, who's standing right over there, had me march up this street during the 2000 Mardi Gras and it was one of the most extraordinary moments of my entire life. When you look at Oxford Street now, how do you feel it's changed? How do you see it's changed? Well, I remember Oxford Street as being a place of refuge, of sanctuary and of survival at the time because you couldn't walk down the Pitt Street Mall holding a boy's hand back in the year 2000. And Oxford Street was almost this magical wonderland where from Brisbane where I didn't really, I didn't understand we what... options. We might have had the Wickham. The Beat was there. That's right. That's the name of a gay bar. Not The best name. The, the bar upstairs, the bar upstairs at the Beat had the best name of any gay bar I've ever been to anywhere in the world. Would you like to reveal it, Courtney? It is the Cockatoo Bar. And my dear friend, my dear gay mate, never understood. It's like, what do they call? I don't. What what's what the cockatoo? What's the yeah, cockatoo? What's what's what do I care about birds? It? I'm like, what do you like on the weekends? Oh. oh. But in Brisbane, it was a bit of a. It was. I don't know. I went to the um, official home of the Queens City Rowers in Brisbane. The oh, official man. home of the Queensland Reds football. You're wearing team. a chambray shirt and a pair of loafers. I probably was, but what I wasn't doing was drinking Bundaberg rum and coke. Which I just then, if, if there's any question about whether it's nature or nurture, I just intrinsically <laughs> drank vodka. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I got to Sydney and I was just like in this wonderland of Oxford yeah. Street. And it was a place that enabled me to express myself in a way that I never was in Brisbane. And um, I think over the years it's evolved a lot because obviously the, the need for queer spaces has changed because it's not necessarily about survival now because you can be queer, you can hold hands in the Pitt Street Mall. And so Oxford Street's evolved and changed over the years, but I do always love Mardi Gras because it's that one time of the year where it all the magic happens on the street and it's so exciting. Without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. I would like to just, because you do talk about it in the book and and like I said, this book is, when I read it, I was like, this is uh, what I would have loved members of my, my family to read mm. when, you know, there were other members of my family who were coming out. Like, because it was just the real explain all, give this one to your folks. <laughs> this has got everything you need to know in it, particularly with the magnificent Courtney facts uh, yes. that you revisit quite a bit through the book. I probably should have given my folks the redacted version though because I there's a lot of descriptions of sex that are quite graphic because I wanted to include descriptions of queer sex because I think that you don't really see that or actually I was doing an interview with um Jessica Rowe and she was saying oh I really clutched my pearls when I read that first description she said she said but by the end I kind of enjoyed it yeah and that was the reason I put it in there it's, it's hilarious because it's, yes, you're absolutely right. Because <laughs> yeah. it's this kind of great mystery to many people in the heteronormative community yeah. who quite regularly partake in smashing peenies and veggies together yeah. in a very gushy kind of way. But for some reason, find any other kind of genitals touching to be very weird. Well, when it comes to the, to the males of the species, God wouldn't have put your G-spot up there if he didn't want you to put something up your bum. <laughs> I believe it was Charles Darwin who said all of nature is perfect design. Exactly. There's a reason it's there. Enjoy it. It's evolution, baby. It is. <laughs> I'd like to know what, how, but I don't care. I just, I choose to enjoy it. In, you, just, you, you, to go back to the time that I first met you yeah. when you were, and, you know, because I remember watching you practice the dance moves on the street at the, at the <laughs> um, it, was, it was wonderful to see these kids doing all the numbers on the, on the, in the driveway across the road. What did it mean for you? Because you do describe it, but I would love it if you could share with the people in the room. What, what was high school like for you? High school was challenging because I think many people in this room will understand and empathise that, I mean, I think high school for anyone is challenging, but when you're a young queer kid and 
you're a boy who's not really living up to the expectations of masculinity and I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that I wasn't like the other boys and that I was made to feel less than or I was I was shamed for that. I think there was like a an idea that maybe if I was bullied or shamed that I would conform to what a man was supposed to be. And I definitely felt shamed, but I never felt like a man. And fame was a, another sanctuary. It was that place where every Wednesday afternoon after school I could go and I could just be myself. Nobody expected boys to act a certain way or girls to act a certain way. And so school was like a that weird thing where, and actually a, the question that came up with my therapist quite a lot was involved me standing there. A lot of the memories or the, the hard parts of childhood thinking about is me standing at A block opposite where the popular boys used to sit and I would ask the question, why don't you like me? And I never could understand why. I didn't know what it was about me. And it's interesting because in writing that book, I think I really healed a lot of that childhood trauma. A few of the... Um, the drafts earlier. It's, it's all resolved by the time you get to the end. Um, <laughs> but um, it was really fascinating because uh, there's such a power in storytelling and telling your own story, whether it be for a memoir or just, you know, for the sake of journaling, I think that when you actually sit down and you write and you immerse yourself in it and you take you back to that place, there's such a healing that happens with understanding that 14-year-old boy and understanding why they didn't like him kind of thing. And being able to give that 14-year-old boy a hug and uh, and really sort of having that healing process. Not only did I meet you around that time, I also met both of your parents who mm. are wonderful human beings and they clearly, clearly loved you so much, no matter what. Yeah. All right. How did it affect, do you think, how did it affect your parents when you would come home from school and, and be kind of a bit broken? Well, I don't think I ever let them see it. And when they read the book, they were both a bit heartbroken because they were like, why didn't you, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, I didn't, I don't really know. Like when you're a kid, you don't quite understand what's going on. It's just your experience. And um, I didn't have the language or the tools to explain anything to mum and dad about sexuality or gender. I mean, I guess the, the bullying part was something that, you know, I, I would talk to them about. But I think just in general, the whole identity part was so beyond my realm of understanding and their realm of understanding, but yeah. we, no one had the language. We, well, we were living in a post-Bioki Peterson Queensland. It's not like we their language is really... <laughs> there were words that I shan't repeat, but that's about <laughs> it. That's kind of all we really had. When you see kids of that age now, when you see young Australians and, you know, they might be in a similar place to you, where you were, yeah. what kind of things do you see that they have that's different that you didn't have? Well, they have the internet and the social media, which is a double-edged sword, right? They have phones with cameras, <laughs> which we were very grateful we didn't have when we were younger. Uh, <laughs> but I think that the, there's a wonderful thing, right, about being young now. If you rewind the live stream, you'll see a night that I had out with Courtney. Just <laughs> flashed through my face, just going, nope, nope, they were all Nokia's, it's fine. <laughs> I think that young people today have got a lot more visibility in the yeah. world. There's a lot more stories being told. And I think storytelling, I heard Nakia Louie say the other day that storytelling is one of our greatest inventions. And I think it is because it's, it fosters empathy. And for so long, there was only one type of story being told. And now there's so many different stories being told. And there still needs to be a lot more, especially in Australia, especially on commercial telly. You know, I mean, look, not to reference you sitting right here, but at the moment, The Bachelorette, we have our first bisexual First Nations person on the show. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's the greatest season of any of the shows we've ever made ever. It's yeah. like dramatically. It's yeah. incredible. It just happens to also have this thing. But yeah, and the emails I get every day about, I can't believe that I'm seeing this, mm. you know, because you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. So when you were little, who were the first, what were the first kind of glimpses you saw of, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is? You know what? It was, it was Good Morning Australia with Bert Newton. It wasn't Bert. It was Carlotta and it was Bob Down. Yes. They would pop up on the telly and Colleen Oroglasso, who, um, the mother of my best friends who I grew up with, the Veronicas, I remember being downstairs at their house one day and 
she called me upstairs because Bert was on the telly and she was like, Shaney, Shaney, come upstairs, come upstairs, look at this. And Bob Down was on the television. And I remember being so uh, confused because uh, I didn't know that men were allowed to act like that. And I, I was really excited by what I saw, but then I was also caught in the moment that I had personally been called upstairs and no one else. And whilst that maybe should have been seen as allyship or being seen. I think I almost saw it as an attack. I was like, well, why did you ask me? Why did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. There's this guy on telly. What's that got to do with me? And I remember sort of retreating back into yeah, that, right. that shame. But really like, yeah, Bob Down, Carlotta. And then, of course, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in the mid-90s was such a huge one. But even still, and even with parents who were so supportive, it is that thing. If you can't see yourself, you can't be yourself. And I just think what life must have been like for so many young queer kids who didn't have supportive parents. Like I've got the privilege of having that and I still struggled with gender and sexuality and all of those sorts of things. But I think young kids now, like you look at the TikTok generation and it's a very different world. There's so much more conversation and inclusion and less stigma about queer identity and, and more exploration and embracing of, of all of those facets. And just the pure fact of the matter is it doesn't, it, as you mentioned before, you really that's how you arrive mm. and whatever your parents are, that's who their kid's going to be. So in many ways, there's also resources for their folks that they might have otherwise never been able to explore. Like what are they going to go to that book? I don't know if it's still there. There's a bookshop at the top there. Yep. Bookshop like, Darlinghurst. Yeah, like are they going to go in there and say, have you got anything for a parent of a kid? Like no, they just open up their phone now. No one has to know that they're not on sports bet ruining their children's lives. Um, <laughs> you know, they <laughs> can... Or whatever gambling app you want to use, up to yeah. you. Other gambling apps are available. Other gambling apps. I could have made so much money on those idol shows. <laughs> but, yeah, it's resources for the parents as well. Cause, yeah. And like I said earlier, like if you – for me, when I first read this book, it was like if there's any person in your life who has a young person in life who's – clearly, you know, not in the kind of heteronormative scenario, get him this book, let him read it. The, just the empathy that you have in this book, the way you describe your journey, it's such a resource, I felt, for, for people who might be, you know, the brother, the sister, the, the cousin, the uncle, who were like, well, I don't know anything about this. Mm. Like, trust me, you have known gay people, you just didn't know it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's was, it was a, a beautiful, beautiful you know, a resource for many ways, I found. Yeah, and I wanted to include those Courtney fact sections because I wanted everyone to literally be on the same page because there's so many... Uh, people will often sort of like, oh, LGBTIAQ+, and, and feel that the acronym can be a bit cumbersome. But I always think if you're finding yourself with enough time to complain about a few extra letters in an acronym, then you're one of the lucky ones because some of the people in our community, the intersex people, the asexual people and so on, only see themselves reflected back in those letters. And I really wanted to, as best as I could, define those in a running glossary in the Courtney Facts section so that people were like, oh, pansexual, that's what that means. Oh, okay, pronouns. Oh, and just keeping up to date on what it means rather than having to go and Google it or, or, or whatever. And, and, yeah, I like those little Courtney Facts sections because they're – and I'm sure that many people who read it will – disagree with what I've written. Yeah. And that's important as well. Yeah, it's, it's nice to, you know, also go, oh, oh, because the docking just doesn't happen in space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, really? The North Atlantic Pipeline. <laughs> one person. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, whoever knew that one. Uh, <laughs> well, I remember when you were in that extraordinary moment of Channel V, you had just arrived you're like mm. three weeks this is it and I could just tell you were just reaching escape velocity because I, mm -hmm. I could see it in your eyes you're like <laughs> finally I'm out of there do you remember the first time that you arrived on Oxford Street in drag oh in drag came in uh, New Year's Day 2001 but I remember the first time in drag my friend Stephanie took me to Stonewall and it was the first night in Sydney it was like the Friday night Wow. Went out to Stonewall, Kylie Minogue was playing and it was just a real aha moment. And interestingly, I remember a story that I write about in the book is I remember looking for somewhere to live because I was staying at my friend Stephanie's house and then I was staying at the the Kirk on Harris, which was, I had like a, a little B&B &B room that was upwind from the 
fish market in Piemont. It wasn't very nice. And then I remember talking about where can I live? And I remember you saying to me at Channel V, you said, oh, you should get a copy of the Star Observer and look in the for rent section. And it was a it was such a fascinating moment for me because I... A, you knew what the Sydney Star Observer was. <laughs> B, you were no, you were you were you were happy to engage me on a subject in a way that straight guys prior to that had not. I always felt like you had to, you know, tiptoe around. And I remember it was a real moment that you were like, oh, you should get a copy of the Sydney Star Observer. And I was like, what's that? And you're like, oh, it's a, it's a gay newspaper. I was like, the newspaper's gay? <laughs> <laughs> Is it cute? Um, and you told me to look in the listing there. And it, and it was just, a, it was one of those like early moments. And, and that's why I put it in the book because it was like, oh, you were, a, you were a, an ally before ally was a word. So thank you, Osha. <laughs> Thanks, very sweet yeah. of you, mate. But I, I just, you know... I just wanted to be sure that you were okay. But, you know, what did it feel like to have that? And I'm sure everyone in this room can relate, you know, because we're all, unless you were one of the lucky people who have been born and raised in Sydney, we all came here to come be something or get away from something. Do you remember the first time that you kind of strode out as either Shane or Courtney and went, this is it? It was that night. It was that very first night because I'd been at City Rowers was my my sort of yardstick of what the Like I know was. that you've got assistance here, but my testicles just went up inside my body <laughs> as you mentioned yeah. that club. And it, the difference was so stark because at City Rowers, I was the only boy dancing. All of the guys were like standing on the edge drinking their Bundaberg rum and coke. The girls were dancing. I was the only boy dancing. At Stonewall, well, it was mostly only guys. Yeah. All of them were dancing. And there was one girl in our group dancing, my friend Stephanie, who'd taken me there. And it was just such a contrast. It just felt, it was like, oh, 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 I just always, the only thing that I knew that gay was, was poofta and faggot in the schoolyard. And it wasn't a good thing and you didn't want to be it. So arriving at Stonewall was like, oh, this is what gay is. Oh, yes, yes, I want this. And then um, I kissed my first boy on the second level of Stonewall. And then later that night, lost my boy virginity, took someone else's boy virginity, a totally different boy altogether, so I did not mess around. I was just <laughs> making up for lost time. Kid in a candy store. That sounds like a top night. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a top night for me. It was a bottom night for me. <laughs> you are glorious. You are <laughs> glorious in every way. Now, you obviously got on that trajectory and you flew. Mm. When I remember meeting you in the audition line at Australian Idol. Mm. I remember like those long snaking audition lines that went for thousands of people. And there you were as Shane. Because I knew you sang, I knew you danced. Mm. And what made you want to audition for Idol? Well, we didn't know what reality television really was. I guess I must have heard about Idol from American Idol maybe, like in New Idea or like however we got news, news back then, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, the, the, I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't like, we didn't go there to get information. It made a noise. It made a noise. You wanted to use it. It made a noise. Which I tried. Why are you still on the phone? I'm trying to <laughs> fuck dad. Yes. I tried to write that noise in letters in the book. It's in there. That's you can read it. And so I thought, I'm going to go along to this Australian Idol thing. And I, I thought, I'm going to go along as Shane and as Courtney. And it just seemed like a good idea. I think I was, it just seemed fun and cheeky, I guess, to go along twice. And there was the, the producer's auditions that happened before the TV auditions. And I got through both of those as Shane and Courtney. And so they went out to the TV auditions, got knocked back as Shane, obviously, went back the next day as Courtney and then and made it through. And when that happened, somebody ran in and whispered in Dicko's ear, like, like he, she was here yesterday. And they did the sort of flashback moment. And, um, I do remember, though, when I got through as Shane in the producer's auditions, I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't come back tomorrow as Courtney. Maybe this is it. This is my, this is my chance to become yeah. a, a straight pop star. Yeah, yeah. And then about 30 seconds later, I was like, no, you dickhead. <laughs> that is, the cat is out of the bag. This is what makes yeah. you. And Portia Turbo, actually, Sydney drag queen Portia Turbo, who I remember her saying to me in the kitchen at Stonewall, the dressing room at Stonewall, um, you have to think of drag as a strength, not a weakness. And I didn't know what it meant at the time, but years later, I understand it 
so powerfully. And I think it goes for whatever that thing is that makes us different. It seems like a weakness at the time, but ultimately it turns out to be greater strength. You mentioned earlier the current season of Bachelorette, mm. um, but mm, I'm doing terrible maths here. 18 years ago in primetime television, there mm. you were every night, the first ever kind of queer yeah. main character of one of those shows being lauded, standing ovations, bands, pyro. <laughs> um, that must have sent an incredible message to you. You can't be what you can't see. And there you were. That's someone's moment. That's someone's Bob Down moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think about because at the time I was just blissfully ignorant. I was just being me. And the reason I was doing it is because I loved it. And I, that's the reason I still do it. And to get those messages, I remember early on I got a letter from a young boy who had said that he had tragically tried to kill himself and he didn't succeed and he saw me on Australian Idol and he didn't know... Any, he didn't know if he was gay, he didn't know if he was, he wasn't sure, but he said that he knew that he was different and he realised that if it was okay for me to be different, then it was okay for him to be different too. And it's those, I know it sounds, it might sound trite, but it's that it is genuinely those moments that for me, that was a life-changing moment because I was so caught up in, in the juggernaut and the excitement and it was about me, me, me. And that letter turned things 180 and I was like, wowee, that's, amazing to think that some person out there did have that connection and that my story had an impact on them like that. And to be the person that I wanted to see on TV when I was 14 is probably the thing that really drives me in everything I do. Another conversation with a therapist uh, was before going into the Celebrity Big Brother house. He said, why, why are you doing this? Who's it for? And that was, I was like, oh, it, I want to be that, that person for my 14-year-old self. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think when you focus on those reasons and not the me, me, me part, then it ends up being a, a pretty exciting career. Because when you, you had focused on, the, and you write all about it, you had focused on the me, me, me part. It was all happening at the back end of Idol. There was a massive tour. There was parties. It was all on. Here's the album deal. Here's the single. There's the single. There it came. There it went. Album's on hold. See you, bye. Don't call us. What did that feel like? Well, I remember, and some of the people in this room might remember, the Diva Awards, the year that I won Entertainer of the Year, uh, I remember it had all sort of gone away, but everybody had such high expectations and high hopes for me. And I had them for myself <laughs> and was finding myself sort of left without, left without the things that I thought that I was supposed to have. And I just wanted everybody to think that I was just as wonderful as they thought I was and secretly I was pretty miserable about things. And you would have thought from the speech that I had had a fat line of cocaine before I went up on stage because my head was so far up my ass. And I thanked my publicist and my record label and my manager and my this person and I finished that speech by saying, and I can't believe I'm saying this because it was hard enough to write in the book. I was like, and I'd like to thank Paris Hilton because she's my friend and not yours. <laughs> and it was such a, it was like the douchest moment of my life. And I realised in writing the book, I was like, the people that I should have been thanking were the people in that room. It was, you know, Chelsea Bunn, it was Portia Turbo, it was Vanity and it was Tess and Mogadonna and the Rika Paris and the, the people who worked at the Midnight Shift and Stonewall and Ark and all the people who had given me jobs and given me a career. And, and it's really lovely to be able to reflect back and to feel that gratitude for all of those people and, and many of the people in this room. Yeah, but then you, you also look back and you realise, oh, how important was it to be that much of a dickhead? Because then you learnt, you learnt that that's what being a dickhead was. And when it all went away, it yeah. really goes away. It really goes away. And then, thankfully, Chelsea Bunn let me work at the House of Priscilla in Stanmore and I would catch the train to work and I would go to the House of Priscilla and I, it was the humbling and the humility that I, that I needed. We were talking about that downstairs. Yeah. Find humility before humility finds you. Yeah. And humility. Well, humility found oh, yeah. I didn't find I didn't it. make that up. I heard it in a room uh, <laughs> not far from here. It has all the colours of the rainbow. They take steps and count days. Um, <laughs> more than 11 steps, less than 13. I'll let you figure it out. Um, 
and that moment, I think it's important to find that moment yeah. in, in, in your life. And um, I don't think there's many people, I mean, goodness, you've had a successful career. You've put food on the table and a roof over your head doing this for over 20 years now. Mm. I don't think there's people that can possibly continue to do that if they are still all me, 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 because eventually people get tired of your shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. When you started to turn that around and become like this is – did you carry the weight of like this is more than about me? Every time I stand on stage, it's not just to have, you know, make sure the look is right. It's like this is sending the message to the kid that's possibly standing in front of me that it's their first night. They've just got here from Toowoomba. Right? Like we could call it about Queensland all the time. <laughs> they just came here from Wagga, you know. Do you, did you carry that weight with you? I didn't because I knew that all I had to do was be myself. Yeah. The greatest burden was only to try and be my most authentic self, which, you know, you don't always get to do 100% of the time, but you try as much as you can, as often as you can, and you keep doing it and you eventually get better at it. And, yeah, I think that it's fun being a drag queen because it's not like I'm a public figure who has to keep up appearances. Like, if you see me rolling around the floor of a nightclub, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a really low bar. (laughs) But it's really lovely. It's so liberating because it's true. Like, that's the truth of it. And that's why I included a lot of that in the book. Like, there's stories about sex in toilet cubicles and there's stories about doing drugs and there's stories about all of those sorts of things because that is the the truth of life I think well it was for me well it was for you and (laughs) (laughs) vanity's the vanity's the only person in the book who didn't get a um everybody sort of got their stories a little bit softened or maybe they got their names changed Uh and I was talking to vanity and I was like you're fine with all of this stuff she's like yeah 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 and I'm like okay good because she was there for most of it and so she's (laughs) She's the other guilty party in the book. Just a moment away from uh, having a chat with Courtney there to uh, say thank you so much for listening and um, just a little insight. We're actually, if you've never been 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 in Sydney or been to Oxford Street, we're at the Burdekin Hotel, which is one of the last pubs, I think, one of the last gay pubs left in that part of the city. Courtney actually talks a lot about the decline of gay spaces worldwide in the book which is very very interesting to read i won't go into it here but it was incredible because the very room that we were in was the room that i had my 27th birthday party in which was a surprise party for me i had no idea there was bananas so the, the exact place we were sitting there used to be a podium or a table there and i distinctly remember a gigantic uh, security guard putting me over his shoulder and um, getting me off the table because I was dancing on the table when I was 27 on the night of my birthday and it was bananas. Anyway, it was nice to have that moment with Courtney in that same corner. Look, you might hear an ad here. If you do, thanks. You're helping us keep the lights on. If you don't, we'll get straight back to wrapping up our conversation with Courtney Act, live from the Burdekin Hotel. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You've mentioned it a few times, so I, I, you know, I'm sure you, you're fine to talk yeah. about it. When did you first start exploring the idea of, you know what, my ideas might not be getting me where I need to go. I might need to start to talk to someone who might have better ideas than me. Does anybody know a therapist? When did that first come across your radar? I was after Idol, actually, because I was struggling with, I guess, the loss of anonymity in my world at that time. It felt like everybody knew something about me before I knew anything about them. It was like there was no strangers left in the world. And obviously there was, just not at Stonewall. Um, and, and it was a really challenging thing and it's hard to explain, but that's the best way I can explain it. And it's, it does something to your brain. It's confronting. And I remember going to see a cognitive behavioural therapist to talk about, it was almost like a battle between Shane and Courtney that was going on in my head where I was like, angry at Courtney somehow, even though 
it's me. And she explained to me this idea that like I had a, I guess, a public mask of sorts and that when I got out of drag, I was less visible and and that there was all of these wonders that I should be thankful for and just sort of helped me to like pivot the the thinking that I had about drag and about what I was doing to something that was more constructive. But I've always loved, well, I've always loved talking about myself, Osher, and so therapy is a perfect place for that. (laughs) At $300 an hour. Yeah, it's an expensive hobby, but um, that's why you write a book. That's the great thing about writing a book. You do so many interviews on the ABC, like radio all around the country, and each one is just like a gorgeous 20-minute therapy session. <laughs> it's not like commercial radio where they want you to say, they want you to like catch you out or say something. Oh, I saw that you described yourself as polyamorous. Does that mean that you could never be monogamous? And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh. but then on the ABC, they're like, so what was it like? You know, how did it make you feel when you, and you're just like, oh, that's lovely, actually. It's really working through the issues. CBTs have been a very powerful thing in my life. Cognitive behavioral therapy, if it's a, can be a self administered form of therapy. And often, for many people, for me at least, it offered me a set of tools which to start to navigate the world which I'd never had before. Once you started using those tools in your day to day life, did, it, did you notice a difference as you started to? Were you still able to be Courtney? Did Courtney become more fabulous? Did Shane become less fabulous? I think the thing that happened was that for the longest time when I was younger, I compartmentalised Shane and Courtney as being two separate things, people. And the the reason that was is because there was so much shame about being a boy who was feminine. And Courtney was really a way for me to express my femininity that was weirdly socially acceptable because it was a job. It was like a police officer puts on a policeman's uniform is what I would tell people. And then over the years I realised when coming to understand, I guess, my gender identity more and how that intersected with my job and through actually a lot of, you know, conversations with Vanity and also conversations with Chaz Bono, who I became friends with after Drag Race, just sort of explaining the idea that it was okay for boys to be feminine and it's okay for girls to be masculine. And I was really able to separate the compartmentalization of Courtney and realized that, oh, I am all of these things. And in a weird way, I kind of wish I didn't have a drag name because people perceive me to be two different people, but the world looks the same for me regardless of how I'm dressed. It's just that people react differently depending on how I'm dressed. And so it's been a really lovely journey in the last sort of five years of really embracing and almost blending the femininity and the masculinity. And and I still love getting dressed up and looking glamorous and, and having a good time. But I think out of drag, as Shane, I'm embracing the feminine side a lot more and feeling the comfort and the enjoyment of something that has always been there but was always sort of boxed away. I was always trying to be more masculine. I failed consistently, <laughs> but I was always trying to be what I thought I was supposed to be. And when I realised, oh, you can be a boy who's feminine, that's okay. It was liberating. Having had that model of masculinity that I guess, you know, we saw growing up in... Mm. in, in in Brisbane in the 80s. Dude. Yeah. Uh, there's like, you, you know, you can't, I keep saying it, you can't be what you can't see. It's like, well, what else is there? Yeah. That's not, I don't, I didn't want it. Mm. I, was, I didn't play rugby. Yeah. I went to a rugby school. I was like the stupidest thing ever, but <laughs> I didn't want it. It wasn't for me. Yeah. I'm straight, I identify as straight, but I'm not straight like other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, but I never saw that growing up there. What, what you've talked about today is so important when it comes to diversity and inclusion, why it is, is so important mm. to show representation everywhere that we possibly can. Being over in the States, a lot happened here in Australia while you were away. Yeah. Um, there was a marriage equality vote. Which it was. was. I heard about that. <laughs> yes, it was fairly, fairly colossal. And it just kind of really blew me away because, you know, I think about in the, in the course of my lifetime, in the course of how long I've been alive, um, you've gone from the Sacred Heart Hospice up the road, like literally putting cots in the, in the hallway because people would, there were hundreds of people dying in the halls a couple hundred metres from here. People being, as you mentioned, you know, bashed, people being murdered, people being thrown from the clifftops in Bondi, like horrible, horrible, horrible. And we, then we come to a point where the majority of the country says, actually, marriage equality is a value that we think is really important for us to go forward into the future. I'm not saying, as you mentioned earlier, that 
people from the non-heteronormative community do not have disproportionately higher levels of mental health uh, issues or you know, risk of suicide or other health complications. So much has changed in our lifetimes, but for many people they're like, well, that was the vote. That's the closing number. No, 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 that's the opening curtain. Yeah. We're about six months out from an election. What kind of things would you like to see? Say you're the Minister for Diversity and Inclusion for, you're the Minister for, for Fabulousness in, in our community. <laughs> what kind of things do you think would be, what are we getting right? What do we need to get more of right? I think that so much of it comes down to representation and visibility. I do think that legislation is so important as well. I think it's not just one thing, it's multi-tiered. Of course. And people always want like a, I think that the marriage equality vote, I was living in the US when marriage equality passed there and I noticed just the air was different. Hearing Obama speak about, even saying the words gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender was such a, a huge thing. And it really does affect and impact the way not only we as queer people see ourselves, but as the world sees us. And I grew up watching pretty much exclusively heterosexual television and content, and I loved quite a lot of it. So I think that there's maybe this misnomer that queer content is only for queer people. And I think that just having more of those stories told, more intersection of, of those stories, and it's not just about queer identity, obviously people of colour, people with disabilities, women are going through a time right now with the Me Too movement and this, this reckoning that is happening in understanding, you know, I guess toxic masculinity is a good word for it. And I just think I would love to see it just happen a bit faster because I think it's generational change and it's incremental change and it's going in the right direction but it would be it would be nice if it happened faster but perhaps it can't go faster because perhaps the people who aren't up with it need it to go at that pace for it to bring them on that journey and to not have division and and so I don't know I think more visibility and then more storytelling is really what has the power to change our society. What role does drag play in that? Well, the funny thing about drag, right, to quote someone famous who does drag, to quote RuPaul, we are all born naked and the rest is drag. And I think that there's such power to that statement because for me, drag was always about subverting gender, about subverting identity, and I loved that part of it, but it's just so pretty and it's so sparkly that sometimes people just get stuck staring at it and forget that perhaps what drag is pointing at is something more than just a costume and a wig. It's pointing at the fact that all of our identities are created. The haircut that you've got, the clothes that you're wearing, the job that you've got, your partner, the food that you eat, these are all choices that we make every single day and that in those choices we have the power to understand who we are rather than just act on what's expected of us. And drag is something punk that breaks down identity and saying, well, actually, this is who I'm choosing to be, even though everybody told me I shouldn't. And I think that that's an important message for every human. I think understanding who you are at your core and trying different things and knowing that they might not all work is such a powerful and important thing because I think that we've gotten stuck in this binary idea of, of everything, not just gender, not just man, woman, but black, white, right, wrong. And I think the truth is, is really in the grey area or in the colours of the rainbow to put a bow on it. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. It is the idea, that thing, it's never night or day. It's kind of always, you're never full or hungry. You've got your dusk, you've got your dawn. You do. <laughs> and it goes like that. It does. There's a spectrum of everything. Yeah. Everything's on Everything's on a spectrum. To expect life or policy or anything to be any different is malarkey. Mm. Here we are. It's 2020. It's November 2021. Mm. What would you want young Shane dancing in the driveway in, what was the suburb? Bowen Hills. Bowen Hills. Hills. Street, Bowen Hills. Turbo Street, Bowen Hills. Turbo Street, Bowen Hills. Turbo Street, Bowen Hills. Yes. What would you want the young Shane who's like 14 right now, what would you want? Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I could just tell him it would all be okay. It'll all work out. And I think the, the, the advice I would give my younger self is like, just relax. Work as hard as you want, be as passionate as you want, but don't worry as much. See if you can worry a little bit less because that part made you suffer unnecessarily. And I think that 
for young people who are out there confused or struggling with their identities, if you're in your teens or your 20s or even beyond and you're unsure about who you are, you're actually in the exact place you're supposed to be. And that's not meant to be some esoteric statement about the universe. It's more that, because I'm a godless atheist, um, <laughs> it's more a Sorry, statement. Sorry, you're among friends. Yeah. It's, it's more a statement that you're meant to struggle with your identity and you're meant to try different things and you're meant to not understand. And that's almost like the purpose of life. The purpose of life isn't to like have it all worked out. It's to try and work it out and consistently do so and, and see if you can share that with some amazing people along the way, many of whom are in the room tonight. <laughs> Without yeah. a doubt. I honestly, I can't find a better statement to get out at. Has everybody read the book? <laughs> Have you not? Okay. If you haven't read the book, there's a bookseller here. <laughs> buy a copy of the book. Buy it for you. Buy it for a friend. Buy it for people in your life who go, I don't know what to do. It's my kid. Just read that. It's going to be fine. Your kid's going to be okay. What I'm so loving about this book is that you, the empathy, the charm, the compassion, the, the acceptance and love for the world that you have comes through in every page. And I'm privileged to have known that for a long time, but that other people get to see that now. While I'm a little jealous, I'm grateful <laughs> that they get to share in that. Thank you so much for letting me do this. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Courtney Act! Thank you. Thank you, Asha. That was Courtney Act. She's fantastic. Her book is called Caught in the Act. It is a brilliant, brilliant read. And as I mentioned, it's it's really, it really is a love letter to that kind of teenage boy and his parents. And if there's anyone in your life who might be struggling with some of the concepts that are have always been in our community, have always been in our society, but the fact that we're talking about them now, it's not like they suddenly arrived. The fact that we're talking about them now as a way to, look, it doesn't fucking matter. Let's just keep these kids healthy and safe and alive. Um, if there's people in your life that kind of struggle with that kind of thing, perhaps encourage them to, to explore Courtney's work, maybe through the first podcast that I did with Shane, maybe through this conversation, and maybe even through the book. It's called Caught in the Act. It's a brilliant read. I oh, don't worry. There's heaps of very graphic conversations about sex as well. Don't worry. You'll get what you paid for. And you can find her everywhere online, Facebook and Instagram, Courtney Act. You know how to spell it. I love doing that live gig. I absolutely love, you know me, I love a live show. I love being with a crowd. It was so nice to be back in a room with a guest. That's the first face-to-face guest I've had on this show for since COVID. So it was amazing to do. And I'm so happy that we were able to do it. And the kind of podcast that you got is still a dope podcast. And you and I think we really got something out of it. So if you're into a live show, I'd love to know your thoughts. Let me know. Send us your email at gmail.com. Um, if there's venue near you in the town you're in, uh, let me know. Because I'd also love to you know figure out. That was about a 60-seater. I'd love to do like maybe 100 or 200. I reckon we could do maybe more. So if there's something nearby that would make sense or you know something that's uh, close to you where you've seen something similar please let me know and we'll start figuring it out the trick is you just got to book it and go you can't wait for it to, you just got to go so we're just going to book it and go alright team I've got a jet uh, I'll see you Wednesday uh, take care of yourselves wear a mask get a jab look after yourselves wash your hands sleep well dream beautiful things 